You are listening to a sermon presented at the First Church of Christ in Elkins, West Virginia. This message is given by pastor and teacher Jason Brandon. Jason will be selecting passages from the Word of God and showing us how to apply God's Word in our lives today. He will also be showing us why we need Jesus. How can faith, God, and the Bible have more influence in your daily life? What is God saying to us today? For this and more, stay tuned. We're in Matthew chapter 10 today. For better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, for sickness and in health. Had a girl tell me once, I'll take one, three, and five. We've been looking through the Gospel of Matthew at what Jesus said about the cost of discipleship. It is easy to see the amazing miracles that he did, but it was so costly to follow him. I mean, who wouldn't want to follow for the sake of the miracles? But we skip the bits between the miracles. We, we skip the, the, the maybe what we might think are the slow parts. We... Uh, we love to talk about the rewards of being a Christian. Who wouldn't want the rewards? I mean, that's, that's all the rage on Christ, Christian television. God will bless you and, and, and make you healthy and wealthy. And we, we don't even bring up anymore the cost of following Christ. That's for other people. That's for, that's for those martyrs long ago that got killed by the Roman armies. That's for people living in Iraq and Egypt and Libya. But the truth is, there is a cost for all of us to follow Jesus, and a great cost at that. The one who would follow Jesus, take up his or her cross, and that's not easy. I and mean, that's the whole definition of the cross of Christ. It's not easy. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus paints a portrait of his followers, both the cost and the rewards, but they go together. You can't, choose to ha- you can't choose one, three, and five. You can't choose the rewards and skip the cost. You know, James chapter 2 reminds us what good is faith. If it isn't playing itself out, if it's faith, it must be seen. And so let's look at the portrait that Jesus paints of, of those who would follow him Matthew chapter 10, let me say, Matthew 10 is a long chapter. We'll break it up to the, to the best of our ability, but this is a bit of a longer than, than normal chapter. We'll start in verse 5. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. These 12, Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message, the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no, take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, Search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave 
that home or town, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death and to father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. I think, bluntly put, we can safely say Christians are hated. He says that. All men will hate you because of me. It would have been very tough being, I think, a disciple of, of Jesus back then. Look at what they went through. I, it, don't get me wrong. It would be amazing to stay at the foot of Christ. I can't even fathom. There are things I like to imagine. Life in the ancient world. What, what would it have been like to live in ancient Egypt or... or Greece or Babylon or even Israel, but the ability to, to, to study at the feet of Christ, that I can't even imagine that. But look what came with it. Terrible persecution from the government, from friends, from family. And, and we know that this takes place around the world still today. They say that more people have died in the past hundred years for being a Christian than the history of the world before that. It is still deadly to be a Christian. Telling someone, there are countries in our world, telling them about Jesus will at at best land you in prison. It's illegal in many countries to tell people about Jesus. I have a a friend, and specifically knowing that we record this, I have a friend who's a missionary in one of these countries, and it's illegal to tell people about Jesus. He has to be very circumspect. We don't deal with that here quite so much. But does it ever make you wonder, if it got that tough here, would you still be a Christian? Would we we still see you on a Sunday morning? Would would you tell people about Jesus? This, This book, so many people have died through the years to translate it. So many people. And, and, and then that's that question of, we're so blessed in, in living in the U.S. and in the year 2022, we can pick it up in any English translation that we want. We can pick King James, New King James, New International Version, pick the 1984 edition or the newer one, RSV, NRSV. We've got so many, so many translations. We have our choice, but so many parts of the world don't have any translation. You know, depending on who you, who you ask, 7,700 languages in the world, I mean, Anywhere between seven and eight thousand. So many of those languages, no Bible, no scripture. We've got so many choices. And with all of that, how often do we pick it up? There are people around the world that would love to have what we have. People have died to make sure 
So many nations, people risk their lives to go to church, and the day after the time change, how many people overslept here? So many in this country show no devotion to Christ or his bride when the going is easy, let alone when it gets tough. To acknowledge Jesus is a dangerous thing. It will pit us against people. It may pit us against government. It hasn't happened yet, but I use the word yet. Historically, every government eventually falls. You know, harder than this is that it pits us against, Jesus says, our own family. Christ divides family. And that's a cost. I mean, West Virginia, I feel, is a very family-friendly state. And I think that that is close to home. The thought that we might have to between our God and our family. I, if you had to choose, which one's more important? I, I've known, I can think of, of friends I knew that, that you know, they, they wanted to become missionaries. They'd been raised in the church their whole life. They went to church. Their parents went to revival, brought them to revivals. They would, they would listen to the missionaries come and speak and and when they went off to Bible college and wanted to be a missionary major, the parents who had encouraged other missionaries their whole life said, well, we don't want our kids to grow up, over, our, our grandkids to be, grow up overseas. And suddenly, suddenly decisions were, were made that, that kind of showed that maybe family was more important than God. Do we choose family or, or Christ? A life of comfort or a life of suffering? Do we look first to our own interests, or do we look to what God wants from us? Hated as we may be by men, by mortal authorities, even by our family, we still have to know who the real enemy is. Satan is real, and he wants you to fail. He doesn't want you to grow in Christ or to serve him. Peter reminds us that our enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for who he may, he may devour. We are at war. And the problem that many Christians have is they don't see it that way. They don't see that, that, that we're at war, that they just go through life and, and, and don't see the spiritual conflict. The Bible tells us be, Jesus tells us to be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. Unfortunately, some people are as innocent as snakes and shrewd as doves. And that doesn't work. When we don't fight the devil, we are easy playthings for him. He manipulates us. He uses us. He ruins us. Spiritual warfare is hard and it's unpleasant, but the alternative is surrender. Hated though we may be, there's only two choices. Side with God, no matter how bad the going gets, or surrender. Christians are hated. Uh, keep Verse 24, just read a couple verses here. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the student to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? And if they called Jesus Satan, the devil, and they did back then, we can expect that too. But we want to be like Jesus. We want to be godly. 
I, I, I think Christians set their sights too low. I think we settle for good enough, and then, and then we're done. You know, that told this joke a dozen times. Here's another one. Uh, what do we call the medical student that graduates last in their class? Doctor. However, and the joke being, they still get paid a lot. However, I don't want that one working. If I have brain surgery, I don't want the guy that graduated last in his class doing brain surgery. Um, I, I want the doctor that studied hard and put effort into it. Um, you, we want this in our life, right? We, we, we don't want the person who put in minimal effort doing important things. So what do you call a baptized believer in Jesus Christ who never reads their Bible, never prays, and never goes to church? Bigger question, I guess, is what, is, what does God call that person? In the world of Geico and Safe Auto, we are jealous of the people who do the least, and we shouldn't be. We have this attitude, what is the least that I can pay to get by? What is the least I can work to pay by, to get by? This is why the Soviet Union fell. The Soviet Union fell because the people, when, when their income wasn't tied to their output, then there was no reason to work hard, and it collapsed economically because everybody was broke, because human nature is lazy. That's just, it's sinful, and, and laziness is a sin, but human nature is to say, I'm not going to put more effort into something than I have to. I mean, different if I like it, if it's like a hobby or something. People, what, what, do, what do they say about the U.S.? Um, we play at our work. Um, we work at our play. Somewhere there's a, something in there about rest as well. Um, we rest at our work and work at our play and um, play at our rest. And we, we throw in time into things that we like. But unless you're really blessed, by and large, most of us going to work on Monday morning is a bit of a chore. It's a struggle. And, and human nature is to say, what? I don't know. What's the least I can do to get by? It's, it's why the Soviet Union fell, is when an entire nation was based upon that concept of, of it doesn't matter how hard you work, then nobody worked hard. Christians take this attitude and put it in their faith. What's the least amount of Jesus I can do to get by? What's, what's the least amount of church that is enough to get by? What's the least amount of Bible reading, prayer, are we students of God or, or are we students of the devil? Are we more like Christ or do we rebel against him? You know, people will say, well, I'm a good person, but, but according to who? Everybody thinks, everybody thinks they're a good person because they will find someone to compare themselves to that is worse than them, and that you can always find somebody worse. Well, at least I'm not like those inmates in prison. That's not who we're supposed to compare ourselves to, is it? Who are we supposed to compare ourselves to? Christ. Jesus. That's the only comparison that matters. Now are you a good person? Because we're called to be Christ-like. That's what matters. This is why I'm, I'm so against the doctrine of, of, frankly, of once saved, always saved. This, this doctrine that crept into the church, historically, somewhat recently. Uh, certainly wasn't the early church. This idea that 
once you're saved, you're done. You don't have to do anything else anymore. Once you've become a Christian, it doesn't matter what you do. It was a journey, and you finish the journey. Christianity is, is the start of a journey. It's not the end of the journey. All the New Testament, I mean, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell us who Jesus is, and Acts tells us how to become a Christian. And starting with Romans, Paul and the rest of the New Testament writers say, now that you've become a Christian, here's where the journey begins. And here's what you do next. Now, all those books wouldn't have been needed to have been written if we could call it. They weren't written to non-Christians. Romans and on weren't books that were written to non-Christians. They were written to Christians. All those books back in the day when they didn't have backspace on their computer and writing was difficult and paper was expensive, those books were written because it matters how Christians live. There's a danger when that quits mattering. When, when we tell people you're done, you've, you've got your reward, there's nothing else you can do to make it better. Righteousness and holiness are not for fanatics. And the Christian goal is not to get by minimally. Are we students of God? Students study, and they work at what they want to be good at. School is hard. I did I am blessed that I got to go to Lincoln Christian, what back used to be called Lincoln Christian College and Lincoln Christian Seminary. Now it is Lincoln Christian University. I, I'm blessed that I got to go there. And, and I, college, college and seminary were hard. There were, there were all-nighters. There was staggering amounts of, re, staggering amounts of reading. Um, and, there were, and, 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 and tests, and, 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 and it wasn't easy. In fact, they had <laughs> my freshman year, there was a weed-out class. Some of these colleges have weed-out classes. Our, our weed-out class was Life of Christ. Uh, Professor Clymer, one of the homework assignments, memorize Matthew chapter 5 through 7, the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5 is long. We won't get into 6. 6 and 7 get a little shorter, but that is a lot. Memorize it because you're going to have to write it out by hand, all of it. That was the weed-out class. That, they, their goal wasn't to have the most graduates. Their goal was to have competent graduates who knew the Bible. And I respect that because the Bible matters, and it's work, and it's worth it. The number of people that graduate college and say, man, I made it through that. I never need to read a book again. I I don't understand. There's so many good books out there. There's so much good information to still learn. To me, it's crazy to think now that I'm done with college, I never need to learn anything ever again. There are people that treat their Christian faith like that. Now that I've accepted Jesus into my heart, still a non-biblical phrase, now that I've even been baptized, which is biblical, Now I don't have to do anything anymore. Baptism is not the end of the journey. It's the beginning. Christians are godly. It's not about you getting to heaven. It's about you becoming Christ-like. And if you're not trying to become Christ-like, by definition, that's not Christianity. We are called to be his students, to follow him, to be Christ-like. All right, let's let's read the rest of the chapter, verse 26. So don't be afraid of them. There's nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. And so don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. 
Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to this earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives the one who sent me. Anyone who receives a prophet, because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. And anyone who receives a righteous man, because he is a righteous man, will receive a righteous man's reward. And if anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is my disciple, I tell you the truth, he will certainly not lose his reward. The cost of following Jesus is steep. Let's not pull punches. Let's not bait and switch. You will be hated. You will take up your cross. That verse amazes me because he hadn't been crucified yet. He hadn't gone to Jerusalem yet. I mean, he knew, of course he knew he was Jesus, but it still amazes me that, that in storytelling we would call that foreshadowing. It had to be a very bizarre thing for the disciples who didn't know he was going to be crucified to hear. We will be hated, our families will be turned against us, we will have to take up our cross. Who in their right mind would follow Jesus? If the student of Christ is to be hated, by everyone, even by their family. Why, why do it? What could possibly be offered that would make all of this worth being a Christian? Well, Jesus says you're worth more than sparrows. God, God loves you. There is a heaven and it's real, and there is a hell and it is real. And I don't like it, but the Bible, there's no point that Jesus treats it like an allegory. The New Testament absolutely talks about the reality of hell, from Jesus all the way to Revelation, Matthew to Revelation, there is a heaven, it is real, there is a hell, it is real, separation from God is real, and our natural state is not saved. Our natural state is separated, but God wants to save us. And he offers us salvation, our choice. He wants to be your father. He wants you to be his child. He loves you so much, but he loves you so much that that he doesn't force you. That, that forcing someone to do something, you know, that, that works for little kids. I make my kid eat her broccoli. But there's a point when, when you love them and they've matured enough, you let them make their own decisions. And although it breaks, it breaks parents' hearts when their kids don't do what they want them to do, there's an age when it's their choice. We have a choice. It breaks God's heart when we choose not to follow him, but it's our choice. The choice is whether or not we accept his son, Jesus Christ, as Savior and Lord. Now, see, here's the, and here's the thing. It's Savior and Lord. We like Savior. Want to be, we don't want to go to hell. We want to be saved from the penalty of sin. But that's different than being saved from sin. 
God wants to save us from both, not just the penalty of sin, but from sin. He wants us to not be sinful, to give up our sins. He's not just Savior, he's Lord, which means that he gets to tell us what to do. And that's what we don't like because we want to keep ourselves. We want to do our own thing. God, save me from hell, but I still want to do on Friday night all the things I was doing before I became a Christian. I, still, I just want to be able to get away with it. We love the idea of being saved from hell. We're, we're not that happy with Jesus calling the shots and asking us to be Christ-like, calling us to be Christ-like. Yeah, and that's the problem is that so many of us don't live lives where we could tell that Jesus is calling the shots. Now, Jason, I like my own life, but if you keep your own life, you're going to lose it. If God has it, it's saved. If you've got it, you've only got it for a limited time, and then you're lost. Oh, Jason, I can't believe that God would ask me to do this, to choose my family over him. Didn't God give them to me as a gift? They are a gift, but Satan loves, the Bible calls him prince of this world, and he loves to twist the things of God out of proportion. He loves it when we come to church, and then Satan loves it when we come to church and bring a bad attitude with us. He loves it when we selfishly think that church is about us. He, love, he loves it. He loves it when we come to church and ruin church. Make it about us, uh, have a bad attitude, say an unkind word to somebody else. Satan would love to find a way to twist our families against us, and he has sometimes. Families are indeed a gift, but they can't get you into heaven. They can't replace God. And some people think, well, mom and dad were amazing Christians, and so doesn't that just make me a Christian? My, my mom and dad are amazing piano players. I can play chopsticks. I, I, I can't play. That didn't, that didn't come naturally. I don't know that it entirely came naturally for my mom. She, I know she put in the years of lessons, and, and, uh, but I can't play piano like her. Um, not everything's genetic, is it? And, and let's be clear, the Christian faith isn't. Your mom and dad's relationship with Christ is no guarantee um, that you have it. In fact, I can guarantee that that doesn't get you into heaven. I can guarantee you that you need your own relationship with God through Jesus. You can't ride their faith. Jesus says that when you associate with the righteous, you will receive the reward of the righteous. If you associate with the prophets, you will get the reward of the prophets. Well, I'll tell you what, in the, in the Old Testament, the prophets got beat up and killed. Do we want that reward? Well, they knew God. I mean, that's what the, the definition is that God would talk to the prophets and, and, and talk with him, and they knew him perfectly. Got them killed a lot of times, beat up, thrown in wells. Was it worth it? They gave up everything to follow God. Was it worth it? And I would say, yeah, that's why, absolutely. We have one example. We do have an example of a prophet who thought it wasn't worth it and he got swallowed by a fish. But other than Jonah, and I love the book of Jonah because it does give us what happens if you reject the call. The, re- the prophets had terrible things happen to them, but they knew God and it was worth it to them. Steep cost. But I'll be honest, it's a reward I would love to have to know God's mind that much, to know his will, to be that close to him. The prophets were close. They, they knew him. To speak with him and draw close to him, forsaking all others, because God alone saves. Ultimately, this is our question for the day. Do we practice what we preach? We talk about being Christians. 
but is it just words? Is it just thoughts in our head? Or are we Christ-like? Because the definition of a Christian is one who is like Christ. It does no good to call yourself a Christian and then not act Christ-like. It's not about what you think. I think that there's a God. I think that Jesus is his son. That's not being a Christian. Being a Christian is, because I believe that Jesus is the son of God, I would like to be like him, even when it costs and every day, I'm going, to try, I, I, I'm going to keep trying to be like him. I will fail, but I will never give up. I will keep trying. And year by year, I will become more Christ-like as I listen to his spirit and old habits are replaced by godly behavior. It's a steep call. Do we accept that? Do we want him? It is a steep call. Steep cost. The rewards of God are for those who are his students, those who follow him. Are we his students? Our hymn of invitation, hymn number 256. The rewards of God go to those who suffer the disfavor of being in this world and not of this world, being like Jesus and not worldly. The money, the friends, the toys, none of it we can take with us. Only Jesus matters. Your relationship with him is the only thing you take with you when you die. How much does... How much does he matter to you? Are you ready to follow him? It's all or nothing. If you haven't made the decision to become a Christian, or you don't know what that looks like, let's talk after church. Thank you for listening. You can contact us at our website, firstchurchofchristelkins.com, where you can also find out more. Have a nice week.